Guys, it's such an honor to be with you. Um, I just got to say, uh, yeah, it's an honor to be with you. And I just feel like, uh, as some of you know, I'm the worship pastor here. And so I don't actually get um, a bunch of time. Like, I, I'm not scheduled to teach uh, very frequently. And so when I do, I'm just asking for grace because you give me a mic and I have a lot of things to say. So we are on a plane right now. Put your seatbelt on. Maybe everyone put your seatbelt on because I guarantee you we are about to hit some turbulence. But I promise we will land, and then you'll look around and all the people are still here. Are we alive? Maybe it's not funny. Let's go. All right. Let's jump right in. I'm going to pray again. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, we pray for your grace, and we pray for your truth, and would you help me out a lot? Amen. Okay. Let's jump right in. If you're taking notes, which you should be, whether on your phone or on a a notebook, if you're taking notes, my talk tonight is called Your Alignment Determines Your Assignment. Your alignment determines your assignment. Can we all say that together? Your alignment determines your assignment. See, I want to talk tonight about how I believe that how, who, and what we align ourselves with ultimately determine where we go in our lives. Your alignment determines your assignment. See, I think the statement is so true. When I was young, I would super align myself with, uh, I think, a high school. I don't know about you, but I I super aligned myself with different groups at school, whether it was the jocks, the skaters, and I started adopting uh, these different groups' worldview. And therefore, when I thought how they thought, I then spoke how they did, and then I did what they did. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that led to some poor decisions. I don't know if you can relate. Another silly point here is uh, if I, in my life, if I make a decision to fully align my whole life with the entire McDonald's menu, MC Don's, McNasty, if I, I, I mean, I love it, don't get me wrong, but if I choose in my life to fully align myself fully with the menu at McDonald's, then I will con- that will completely determine my assignment. Physically, I guarantee you, belly farther out, hello. And destination, most of the time, might be um, the baño, the restroom. Um, Are we alive? Okay, sorry. Now, another thing that you might be able to relate to is before I truly was following Jesus, uh, I aligned myself with things of the world. I for sure lived a different way before I came fully into the kingdom. And then what happens is I align my life with the scriptures what they say about me and how they tell me to live my life and my destination in life became so much bigger if I I finally felt my life flourishing with goodness. It therefore brought people into my life, relationships that were like-minded, and then I aligned myself with those people and that led to just kingdom dreams like planting this church. Your alignment determines your assignment. That being said, I believe our alignment starts with our mind, our thoughts, our thinking, our worldview. I think of the verse Proverbs 23, 7. It says, as a man or a woman thinketh, so he or she is. How many of you heard that before? Okay. As a man or, or a woman thinketh, so he is or so she is. See, the thoughts and inclinations of the heart shape the reality of who you are. They shape your thinking, which will ultimately shape your actions. This is why what you think matters so much, right? What your worldview is matters because it's forming the basis of who you are and who you will become. So for tonight, I want to propose 
that right alignment for us as believers is a correct biblical worldview. I'd argue it's maturity in Christ. It's the way that we think. I'm a huge why guy. If you get to know me, um, there's certain things. like I'm always asking, why do we do that? And so the why for my talk, to be honest, oh, here we go. Buckle up. In our current cultural moment, I'm actually seeing Christians, I'm seeing pastors, I'm seeing friends, not just adopt new values, not just adopt new ideas, um, also not just adopting new political ideas. I'm actually seeing certain Christians, and I've been there myself, adopt a full new worldview. And honestly, I got to say, some of the worldviews I'm seeing are tending to be pretty unbiblical. Maybe they use Bible language, but using the world's definitions. I see Christians adopting what the world is saying and sometimes letting intellect and experiences of society give us a new worldview. Instead, I would argue when you have a correct worldview that is Bible and gospel, good news based, you don't need to add anything to it. Everything in the Bible is enough. See, if we actually knew what the Bible said and knew the full extent of the gospel, we wouldn't adopt new worldviews. And I believe as confessing Christians, as believers, we must be cautious of opposing worldviews. We must be rooted in Christ and his word. Amen? Oh, there's so many amens. I like that. So where I want to start tonight is Ephesians 4. So if you want to go to open up your Bible, your phone, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. I'm going to start in verse 11. A lot of you probably read this before. Um, it's where you get language like the five-fold ministry. Verse 11. Are we there? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the, evangel- the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Say unity. In the faith and in the knowledge, say knowledge. (laughs) Awesome. Of the Son of God and become mature. Say mature. (laughs) Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, say truth. In love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, say mature again, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love and each part does its work. Verse 17, this is the last one. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Say thinking. Awesome. See, what Paul is saying here is that the church and leadership that Christ gave us, so he talks about the apostles, the teachers, the evangelists, the structure that is church that he gave us so that we can be equipped for this world is there for us to grow in unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. And, and as we read that, what does he contrast that maturity with? It's pretty kind of bold language, but he, he contrasts that maturity with being infants tossed back and forth by winds and waves. Wind and waves of what? Winds of teaching and craftiness of deceitful scheming. Other translations actually say new doctrine. 
Another translation actually says fabricating lies. Wow. See, Paul is directly talking to us about staying true to the knowledge of Christ. Just like in verse 17, he was talking about our thinking. And remember, how we think is directly connected to our worldview. He mentions winds of teaching and schemes because I would argue he knows they're out there. He's warning us. So in order to maintain sound doctrine to, is, is how? To not be children tossed around by new gospels, if you will. It's to have right thinking. It's to what? To be mature. See, it's pretty simple. Our mature thinking of the gospel, I would argue, brings about unity. Here we go. Um, Maturity comes from not being blown away by new doctrine. See, we don't have time to get into kind of every circumstance here, but over the years with church history, we've seen traditional Christian orthodoxy make its way through the years um, by certain groups and certain leaders fighting against different heresies um, that have came against the Christian creeds. Right? In other times, I think of um, Paul, when he's talking to the Galatian church, he's actually fighting against heresies there as well. I don't know about you, when you're even just here, when you're reading Paul's language, you can actually feel him fighting for the gospel. He fights for the gospel. So once again, the point I'm trying to make is that as Christians, we are called to be mature people, to think right, to be naturally supernatural, to be a light to the world, to show an unstable world how to be stable. Our job with the knowledge of Christ is, is, is to look at the world sometimes and say, oh, there's some irrational thinking there. Oh, we have the truth. Let's come in and serve out of love to bring rationality, reason, thinking. See, Paul is expecting Christians to make sense of life, to hold to the teaching of Christ and what he's teaching us as well. And our thinking is different than new doctrines. See, our thinking is steadfast. It's tested. It's long-lived doctrine. It's not of the world. So our, our, our thinking and our worldview will be countercultural at times. And we need to be okay with that. Remember, the church, by definition, is not the world. We are called to be set apart. And unfortunately, over the years, I'm still young, but I've been in the church for a while. And unfortunately, over the years, I've, I've seen even more so, I'm seeing the church actually resemble more of the world. And even at times, uh, maybe on certain topics and different things, let the world take the lead. But friends, let's remember what 1 Corinthians says, that we have the mind of Christ. That's good news. It's a gift that has been given. See, I would argue the mind of Christ is not just access to think happy thoughts. It's also not having, uh, the mind of Christ also doesn't mean just to think, uh, not think about wrong things. No, I, I would say that having the mind of Christ is thinking like Christ in this life, to think on earth as it is in heaven, to always be in the mode of I only do what I see the Father doing. Right, and here's the, the kicker. This is what Romans 12 says. I, we've all heard this before. Romans 12 verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Wow, so don't, don't be conformed. And how do you not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Emotions. Renewing of your experience. No, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, our our maturity and transformation come from a renewed mind. Your mind is what the Lord wants to get a hold of. Because if we think right, we'll talk right, and then we'll do right. It's maturity. There's tons of scriptures in the Bible talking about thinking, maturity, wisdom. It's a big deal. I'm going to read some here. Proverbs 4, 7. 
The beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. John 8, 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth sets you free. Hebrews 6, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. I love this one because there's amazing promise in here. There's good news in here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So when you don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him. And I love this. He will make your path straight. So good. First Corinthians also talks about brothers. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, I would argue at times the world emotionally and experientially thinks. As believers, we have access to mature thinking because of truth. Church, we must be cautious of ways of thinking that are rooted in humanism, emotionalism, and experience. All of those ways, I would argue, are subjective. And we are called to think objectively with truth, right? Comparing thinking and worldviews that are objective versus subjective will never work because I think objective will always lose because subjective tends to, not all the time, but tends to be experience-based. It's like arguing uh, with somebody about like the taste of food, right? Like you can't really compare taste buds. You're like, I don't like that. And you're like, well, I do. Um, so you, you, it's like arguing on a, suge- a subjective standpoint. It's a never-ending comparison. But when we root ourselves in the scriptures, we can think maturely because it's truth. It's objective. Our faith is built on a common, common unity of truth, right? We all experience the same Jesus, We all experience the same born-again experience. We all experience baptism. We all experience communion. See, the truth in our Bible here is is there to bring unity, not (laughs) hyper-individualism. Social, individualistic thinking values feelings over what is true or reality. That doesn't mean, please hear my heart, that doesn't, I'm a very emotional guy. This doesn't mean that feelings don't matter. Just I would argue, mature thinking pushes us to truth that brings freedom. See, if I lived by my feelings and my feelings alone, I would for sure be led into deception and immaturity. Now, I could probably talk about this stuff for hours, but I'd love to start with this. Very simple. In order for us to get a right, as Christians, as confessing Christians, to get a right biblical worldview, I think we need to start with a biblical narrative. So this is just like, I put this together. This is like a 30,000 foot view, biblical narrative, um, that I think will help us discern and decipher new things of the world, or what they're trying to say and what they're trying to have us buy into. So if you're taking notes, this is important. Here's the biblical narrative I came up with. I mean, it's from the Bible. I put in seven stages, just like that number seven, holy numbers, so you know this is going to be good. Seven, here we go. So the first stage is creation. So there's a biblical narrative, creation. Second stage is fall or sin. Third is the law, Old Testament. And then Jesus, our Savior. Then the next stage is redemption. The next stage is mission and then eternity. I'll say them again real quick. Creation, fall and sin, the law, so Old Testament, Jesus, redemption, mission, and eternity. See, I think this biblical narrative is what can help us shape our worldview 
and be the objective standard that all other worldviews can be filtered through. So super quick, this is just, this is hopefully for somebody out there, is I want to quickly, as quick as I can, go through each stage of, of those kind of biblical narratives and just talk about it. Here's the gospel, ready? Creation. God created the world and mankind and called it good. He created Adam and Eve to walk in the cool of the day with him and ultimately to co-rule and co-reign the world. Communion with the Father was perfect. Then Genesis 3, the next stage, the fall, sin enters. And how? Get this. How does, how does the sin enter the story? Sin took up residence in the human's nature by thought, by wrong thinking, being deceived by the enemy. See, Adam and Eve's worldview was submitted to God no more. They worshiped human reasoning to get their own lordship. So therefore, communion with the Father was tainted and lost. Now, next stage, the law, Old Testament. Now we see how this sin plays out in mankind. See, God brings about the law to tutor us into right living, but sin still reigns over humans. So then, this is like obviously the pinnacle of everything. Next stage is Jesus. Jesus, he came to redeem He came to reconcile and bring true biblical justice. Jesus came to reconcile humans back to the Father and go on the cross to deal with sin. It's a good word. Jesus didn't come to just make wrong people right. He came to make dead people alive. I'll say it again. Jesus didn't come to just make wrong people right. He came to make dead people alive. He came to recapture lost sons and daughters and defeat and crush sin upon the cross. So therefore, next stage is this. I'm seeing, I got to be honest, this is off the cuff. Hello, cool. Is um, I've seen a lot of Christians still preaching the truth, but then it stops there. It's you silly, bad sinner. But the next stage here is redemption and mission. So we have been redeemed. That's the good news. We have been redeemed. How? Jesus crushed sin on the cross, and now we are saints. Jesus gave us his spirit now for a mission, now to bring that on earth as it is in heaven reality. Our mission is to shine this redemption truth and lead others back to the Father. Then ultimately, the last stage is to eternity, where now the end destination, I would argue, is true, biblical, fulfilled justice, where every nation Every tribe, every language, every people will be in heaven and not hell. That is the gospel. So this is the narrative and worldview of the believer. I would argue any other worldviews that don't start with this narrative have left the biblical turf and left righteous definitions. I say this because... I've seen the church at times, and I've been there, asking the wrong questions. I want you to hear. I'm like raising all limbs for this. This is, yeah. Instead, I've seen the church asking the wrong questions, and they're going to the wrong people to answer them. And where we're going are secular sources to help shape our worldview and give us answers. In doing so, it's saddening to see that the church across the body doesn't have a consistent message. I think I find this to be really sad because we all have the same book. (laughs) So I'll be frank here. We don't have a consistent message because we don't truly know what our Bibles say. That's what I think. That's just my opinion. We don't have a consistent message as a church because we don't truly know what our Bibles say. We don't know the full extent of the gospel. That's why we need to stick to our biblical worldview. Because if not, what I've seen seen happen before is we can adopt 
unbiblical definitions that change truth, even though we think we're saying the right thing because it sounds good. And I've seen even with myself and friends, close friends, really the effort there is to be relevant, it's to be accepted, to feel safe. And it's just to post the right thing because there's a social pressure. I'm seeing Christians allowing the world to define things that the Lord has already defined for us. Think about these words, words like justice, repentance. I'm seeing repentance mean a totally different thing. Holiness, righteousness, forgiveness, meaning a completely different thing. Healing. I'm seeing those actually mean something entirely different. Now, I want to get very practical here. I want to take now that 30,000-foot view of what we wrote down, the biblical worldview, and talk about how that narrative actually helps us today, specifically with talks with topics like justice and reconciliation. I think in that biblical worldview, Genesis 3 is so helpful for me, for this, for us, because I would say um, it shows us what has brought injustice, sin, deception, and evil that has came from the enemy. Here we go. I sense some turbulence coming. I'm going to cheers. I hear the word systemic a lot recently. I see, I hear the word systemic thrown around ton, talking about structures that are evil and how they must be taken down or even people groups or organizations that are systemically evil. And it may sound really simple to you, but the only systemic issue I see biblically is systemic sin. After Genesis 3, what we see is sin, what sin does on the inside of people and how that brings about injustice, murder, pain, and evil we can think of. And evil we can think of. Say, it may sound redundant here, but this is vitally important as believers because we understand any injustice that we see is a sin heart inside issue. Then as we know, in the narrative, the law came in and tried to bring about right living. But here's one huge lesson that helped me um, that we learned about the law is Romans 8, 3 says this, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? The law came, but people's sin still controlled them. This is why the kingdom always starts from the inside out. Jesus didn't come, this is my take. I think I'm pretty close on this one though. Jesus didn't come to deconstruct, defund, and overthrow evil structures. And even more so, he didn't come to make the list of laws even more bigger, longer, or more intense. He came to take on sin. Let's be real. Of course, Jesus knew of wrong skewed structures. He for sure knew it. But he showed us in how he gave life and truth to the oppressors and oppressed. How? Through heart change, through motive change, through thinking change. Because Jesus knows a changed, redeemed kingdom heart will change a structure. Something Alex says a lot is he says, uh, or what he told me recently was, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't interested in a corporate evil. It's just that he addressed that through the hearts of individuals. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The biblical gospel works from the inside out. The social justice gospel works from the outside in. The gospel works by the power of God inside out changing laws, tearing down structures and defunding them does not do that. If you have any issues, my email is alexretman at saintsill.church. 
Changing laws, tearing down structures, and defunding them does not do that. See, we're trying to use earthly solutions to fix a biblical sin issue. Once again, what changes that sin issue is Jesus and his redemptive work. Now, unfortunately, I've seen when you talk this way, I've had conversations like this. I know Alex has. I know just even friends, not just church people. When you talk this way, the way I'm talking, I've heard in response that the gospel is not enough right now. Even in certain circles, I've heard that the gospel, in talking about the gospel, talking about just that biblical narrative (laughs) that seems so uh, controversial somehow, um, even in certain circles, the gospel feels almost like inappropriate to bring up during this cultural moment. Or things like, well, there's actually more to it. It's not as easy as just loving one another. It's not just the heart change thing that you're talking about. But no, we actually need to take it a step further out of scriptures. We need to learn how to be anti-racist. We actually need to learn how to check and renounce all of our conscious, subconscious privilege. And we got to dismantle these evil structures because that is actually how seeking justice is manifested in doing that work. Church, I would be cautious of any movement, person, ideology that would say the gospel may be the ultimate answer, but. Because honestly, anybody that says that or portrays that worldview wants to add more to what scripture says. And I would argue it's not putting full faith and validity into the scriptures. See, I have some reality to give you today that the Bible isn't filled with a bunch of half-truths. When people or movements talk like it, it shows that shows their cards a bit that essentially you believe that Jesus got his own gospel and his own mission wrong. <laughs> Remember, the gospel works from the inside out. So I would argue we can change laws, we can tear down structures, we can defund certain organizations, we can tear down statues. But remember that we are all still dependent on people obeying those changes, which happens on the inside of humans. As heart change takes place, we will see societal change. Having the correct biblical worldview allows you to get get this. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. I got a lot here and (laughs) pits are sweaty. Pits are sweaty. Honey, Becky, new shirt now. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad we're laughing. I I turned the, I knew we were, I, I said in our little production meeting, I'm about to, even myself, I'm about to be on the surgical table and there's a scalpel out, but I promise you there's a lot of laughing gas. So you're not even going to feel a thing. Get this. Having the correct biblical worldview allows you to identify problems correctly. And when we identify the problems correctly, we can then propose the correct solutions. If we identify the problem as Genesis 3 sin, then is the solution found in legislation, policies, in a protest or a march, Or if it's sin, then the solution is Christ. The world has their way of doing reconciliation. That's changing laws, protests. We need to go against this group or even this brand. The world gives us, I would argue, an us versus them narrative. An us versus them narrative. The world says you need to be woke, (laughs) which is never ending, I would argue, because it's about works. It's about you becoming a better person. Hey, you need to research this. You need to read this. It's about the organizations you support. It's about who you vote for. See, for believers, we think differently. For a believer to be woke, this is some good news for you. For a believer to actually be woke, we must realize that we've been given 66 books 
put together conveniently all in one book called the Bible, and this book gives us all the information we need in life. You want to be a woke Christian, you learn the Bible. See, it's one thing to be woke and another thing to be alive in Christ. (laughs) It's one thing to be woke and another thing to be alive in Christ. So don't fall into the trap of seeking out more to be woke than alive in Christ. Because as Christians, we're going to talk frank here even more. I have bad news for you. You will never be woke enough. Why? Because eventually the world will come after your view on marriage and sexuality. You can be woke in this moment, but there's certain things that we follow biblically that even I have to wrestle with. Let's, let's be real, guys. I'm doing my best to, to talk as a father, as a friend, not an older brother. I'm doing my best to actually say, hey, even me, there's things I have to wrestle with, but I can't be on this journey of being woke. I must be woke by the, be alive in Christ. See, his yoke is easy and his burden is light and anything that has you working without that reality is not the gospel. In a social justice worldview, these worldviews see people in groups and different levels of power for each of these groups. And each of these groups have many categories and labels. See, this worldview makes your primary identity what you are, not who you are in Christ. As believers, we know that our identity, and I'm so thankful for this more than ever, but as believers, we know that our identity is in Christ and nothing else. It's about whose I am, not what I am. And that identity transformation is true justice. Justice is an attribute of God, so Christians should desire and love justice. We for, we for sure, in kingdom sense, should desire, th- quote, things as they ought to be. However, the important caveat here is biblical justice. This is important if you're taking notes, sorry. However, this, the important caveat here is biblical justice is used equally and without partiality. Social justice puts people into groups. Biblical justice doesn't just show justice to that one group. Or in other words, the invitation of justice isn't just sent to one group of people, but to all. Because we are all equal as image bearers of Christ. The Bible talks multiple times about not showing partiality favoritism or judging on mere appearance. I'm sure we've read those scriptures. So again, it's not what we are. See, the world wants equity, and that's defined by equal outcome for every person or fairness. But I would argue biblical equity is everyone gets the same treatment. This is different. Whether rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, each is a person or group that is judged righteously, showing no partiality. Worldly equity wants to have groups versus other groups against each other to try and level the power dynamic. And you do that by what you are, not who you are. See, as believers, we have a new standard. It's a heart motive standard where Jesus says, now if you have hate towards a brother in your heart, you've committed murder. So here we are, we're almost landing. I'm starting to see the, the landing strip here. We're getting it. Seatbelt's still on, though. The light's still on, because I see a little bit of turbulence here, but so stay in your seats, because this is where... (laughs) Thanks for laughing. Here we go. I'm almost done. Movements. Oh, Jesus, help me. 
movements like Black Lives Matter need to be talked about in the church. Because this movement was birthed out of a response to horrific killings that have taken place in our nation. And please hear me, I haven't talked to um, any person that doesn't see anything other than horrific killings. Injustice. But as believers with our biblical worldview, we see that sin in humans, we see that sin happening in humans and we need a savior and that biblical justice shows no partiality. So this is what I mean. When believers see a horrific killing like that, we must speak the gospel even louder because the true justice that takes place in our heart, Genesis 3 stuff, the fall, and the new standards that Jesus has given us, help us in humility, get this, realize and see ourselves in the position of the murdered and the murderer, the oppressed and the oppressor. Instead, what I saw instantly was a group versus another group. I've now seen pastors, close friends of mine, using social solutions and actually promoting secular material all in the umbrella of this movement. We're gonna get real practical here. Things like promoting, you should read this book. White Fragility, you need to read this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. If you don't hashtag of this movement, you are now in the wrong. See, what this is, is more than ever, it's an us versus them. As Christians, we are to give our whole life to Jesus in the scripture and hear this. If we are ever gonna give the slightest allegiance to other movements, we, we have to do due do, do diligence and research them. Who are the founders? What do they believe? See, in this day, I really would argue that this is way, way more than just a hashtag. <laughs> this is worldviews that we are working with. Without getting too far in the weeds, um, this is a key belief. We're going to go there. There's a key belief uh, from their website. Committed to disrupting the Western prescribed, prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. But hear this. The reason why I have issues with that is one man married to one woman is not a Western prescription for family. It's a biblical one. The movement is pro-choice advocates. They, have pro, they are pro-choice. They have different beliefs for sexuality than what the Bible's clear on. Please hear my heart on this. This is not a legalistic mindset. It may feel like it, but this for me, I, I mean, I can't prove it to you, but for me, this is a covenant love to Jesus and his word mindset. See, I will always declare that black, brown, any colors matter because of not what they are, but because they're image bearers of Christ. See, what these social movements and worldviews want to do is create utopias, changing the outside in. Biblically, I would argue we've seen utopia try to take place, the Tower of Babel. How many of you read that story before? I guess we're asleep now. Send emails. Um, or better yet, create heaven on earth. But we know that the message of the gospel is Jesus comes to us and redeems us from ourselves. Best-selling author Jordan Peterson actually in an essay about the Tower of Babel shares the dangers of idolizing our intellect to attempt to create utopia. He says this simply, I love this. The story of Babel is warning about the idolizing, by idolizing the intellect and pursuing heaven on earth, a utopia. Rationalism makes reason an idol, replacing God. It should be noted, however, that warning about rationalism is not condemning reason and thinking, but rationalism goes much further by considering reason alone as all that is needed for human flourishing. 
He continues by saying this, the Tower of Babel is a symbol of utopia. God interrupts the building in Babel because utopian dreams of heaven on earth actually bring hell on earth. In order to bring utopia, people seek strict uniformity in speech and action. Individuals who don't conform are either, are either punished, humiliated, or even killed. So to end, ultimately, are we still alive? I'm alive. So to end, ultimately, the question I'm seeing being asked loudly is this. What do we do with people's sin? What do we do with the wrong in the world? How do we bring true justice? So I want to end with this. Matthew 18. Maybe let's all turn there. I'll try and make this quick here. Matthew 18. Verse 15 says this. Dealing with sin in the church. 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Okay. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. What we learn here is that when sin occurs, you deal with it between the two people with the goal of listening and to be healed. But if one doesn't listen, you gather more believers. Then ultimately you tell the church. Notice how the goal for dealing with sin is heart-to-heart reconciliation. Notice how it's not bring the world in. Let's change the structure that is the church because the structure was bad and caused people to sin. No, it's sin against each other and you go deal with it just as other translations say in private. Amen? Let's all stand. I should probably end here. That's a weird way to, we all landed, I think. Let's all stand. Let's maybe stretch. That was a, that was a long flight there. Worship team, you could probably make your way up here. That was a rough landing. We'll work on that later. But ultimately, this is what I'm getting at. And the things, this should be good news for you. I know I was just blurting out a lot of things, but this should, the reason why this is good news for me is that the gospel is actually as good as I think. That actually, um, this book really does, is not, is not filled with half-truths. That actually I can run to this thing and it can actually lead me where my paths are straight. I'm reminded that Jesus came to redeem me and give me a new nature and therefore I'm called redeemed and I'm a saint. That's good news. See, that's the type of good news that I would argue the people in the world need to hear. Not a utopia that just sounds good, but something that actually says, hey, the goal isn't to be on the right side of history. The goal is to be on the right side of heaven. So... To end, this is where I kind of want to end. You may, uh, this is kind of a, maybe it's not, but I I feel like this is a big talk. Um, And you may land on so many spectrums of even what I said. I would argue that we are called to, the Holy Spirit is here and his main goal is to reveal Jesus that is truth. So I want to urge you and push you to think with the Holy Spirit. I want to go into a time of worship. And so you you may land in this, at the end of this talk with just rejoicing. Like, wow. 
God, I haven't heard the gospel like that in a while. And I just, that so filled my soul. And now I feel truth setting me free. So in this time of worship, rejoice. There may be a time um, in this next song, a time for repentance to say, hey, you know what? I don't even know what that crazy tattooed guy was saying, but all I know is that I've been focusing on other things and I haven't been going to the Bible. Or there are specific things I said that you're like, oh, I for sure have been thinking that way and uh, I, I need to change something. There also may be some of you that you really, um, it's not just repentance, but you may just need to reflect with the Lord and say, God, I, I do believe that I have uh, your mind. I have the mind of Christ and I submit to you again. Like how I said, there's so many things that I wrestle with. There's even things at times that I'm like, I flat out disagree with that. But I know that the fruit of my life when I've said yes to Jesus is the best thing in the entire world. I've seen what saying no to Jesus looks like, and it really did lead to death. So my heart really is this idea of, okay, Jesus, you're my leader. When I, if I say I'm a Christian, you're my pastor. You're the good shepherd. And so something up here needs to change so I can see the world rightly to show people you, Jesus. So what I want to do is just, yeah, a time of reflection. Let's maybe get the, the Holy Spirit comes when Jack plays the keys. So we need that quick. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm laughing. I'm thinking about, I'm about to have a hot dog and that's kind of awesome. Um, yeah, let's just move into a time of reflection. Um, we even got some words um, from pre-gathering prayer. Um, so the prayer team can move. There's going to be a prayer team in the back. I even see Alex over there. He's ready. He's so ready to just pray for you. It's amazing. Um, we've got a lot here. So I'll maybe, I'm going to go so fast here. Maybe a name, uh, Brad, hope, hoping for the prophetic. Come for prayer to be prophesied over. Maybe a name, Harvey that you're fossiled maybe by bitterness and God wants to unearth that and dig it up. Uh, somebody got the phrase, death, where's your sting? And unfortunately, maybe there's somebody here that's really experiencing that kind of sting of death. Um, and, and possibly for a person from a fatherless household, instead of living in victory, Jesus uh, has, is giving us to keep living. Oh, Jesus is coming to take that sting away. Maybe names with that are Sally, Sandra, Sarah, healing in the shoulder or neck. I also just felt like before that um, I saw uh, people's face. This is kind of a funny word. I saw people, uh, their face reacting like they uh, just won the lottery because they just got prayer, uh, prayer for some healing. So I feel like God wants to bring some healing and joy is about to be poured out. Um, maybe the name James. And the, the picture was that they uh, there was no control of, of his feet. And so the Lord is saying, center your heart and I will align your feet and make your path straight. He just wants to save and set people free. God is showing how deeply he loves us. And if people need the love of God, come and get prayer. So there's all those. <laughs> there's all of those. And so this is a place of freedom. Um, and so go back and get, get some prayer, get ministered to you. But the rest of you, I just encourage you, um, hopefully at least one thing I said by the spirit of God and the grace of God stuck. And let's just reflect as family and just um, reflect with the Lord and just um, worship in that way. Sound good? Bless you guys. Thanks for listening.